0: Please remain standing and flip with me in your Bibles to John, chapter 15, verses 4 through 6. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Please flip with me to Psalm 127 now, verses 1 through 2. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain, you get up early and stay up late. Working hard to have enough food, yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for your presence. And we just ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive from you. Um, we pray, Lord, for your blessing over, over this body today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sleep for the week. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Who's ever said that before? <laughs> Um, These are two statements that we know from personal experience, scientific data, uh, and just plain old common sense are not true, very unhealthy, and unwise. And And, and just FYI, the origin of the phrase, I'll sleep when I'm dead, actually comes from some pretty dark, depressing songs. Google it later. Um, But somehow these two statements still either directly or indirectly govern our sleep habits. Experts agree that adults should sleep anywhere between 7 to 9 hours every night. If you're between the ages of 13 and 18, you should be getting 8 to 10 hours. Uh, and if you're... you're not here if you're between the ages of 6 and 12. But if you're in between the ages of 6 and 12, it should be 9 to 12 hours. Now, who here sleeps for an average of 9 hours every night? That's pushing it. Okay, that's a lot. Uh, how about 8? Eight? 8 hours. Nice, great. You are the unicorn in the room. Uh, Seven, okay, not bad. Six, okay, getting into the danger zone here. Five, (gasps) less, oh oh my goodness, oh no. All right, well, not surprising. Statistics report that 30% of adults sleep less than six hours every night. And when it comes to high schoolers, I pointed at you, but there are, more them. there are more of you in the room. When it comes to high school, it's only 30% sleep 8 to 10 hours a night. And the truth is, we all know this already. We know we're going against nature, wisdom, science. We know how much we're hurting our bodies by depriving ourselves of rest and sleep. And yet, we go on, or we soldier on. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people about things like personal habits that will end with. I know, I need to work on my sleep schedule. But then things actually change about a quarter of the time. Uh, Most of the time, habits remain unchanged, which shows that we're willing to sacrifice our sleep and ultimately our bodies for something. question is, what is it? Before we get to that, I want to pose another question. Who here had a bedtime growing? less hands than I thought would, would come up. I mean, I did, and I remember arguing with my parents about it. I, always, I would always bring up my friends who didn't have strict bedtimes, but now that I'm an old man, I look back, and I'm actually really grateful my parents enforced a bedtime. Tish Harrison Warren, in her book Liturgy of the Ordinary, which is a big inspiration for our current teaching series, and particularly this sermon, uh, reminds us this. We need a ritual and routine to learn how to fall asleep. Infants learn by habit, over time, how to cease fighting sleepiness. A regular bedtime, dim lights, bath time, book time, rocking, allow their brains to carve out a pattern, a biochemical path to rest. In other words, when we were young, we all needed bedtimes and sleep training to build the right Habits, the necessary neural pathways tend to teach our bodies to do what they were supposed to do sleep and rest regularly. At some point in time, we actually had to be taught how to sleep. And so if we grew up without a bedtime ingrained into us, it's very likely that we have trouble maintaining healthy sleep habits now. And it makes the sacrifice of sleep really easy. But even if we did have a bedtime and sleeping routines, hey, Life happens, the hustle and bustle, the hurry, the busyness, the anxiety, the thirst for pleasure and entertainment, the FOMO has completely undone all of our sleep and rest training. This is why so many of us live in perpetual tiredness, right? It's like constant brain fog. We show up to work or school, tired. We find ourselves too tired for things that are actually fun and life-giving because these things usually require energy. And then we even show up to Sunday worship, tired. The day we get to celebrate and receive from God, we show up tired. You know, listening, receiving, and worshiping all require energy. And we lose out on all of that when the battle is merely to stay awake through service. Now, we're willing to sacrifice, sleep, rest, our health, and ultimately our bodies for something. Which takes us back to the original question. What are we willing to sacrifice our sleep, rest, health, and our bodies for? And what is it doing to us? And on top of that, in the midst of our series on abiding in Jesus, what do our sleep habits and routines have to do with being aware of God, experiencing Him, and connecting with Him? Can I find, experience, and be with God in the ordinariness of a regular evening? Return, return to the notion of bedtimes and sleep training, Warren writes this, if rest is learned through habit and repetition, sleep training, so is restlessness. These habits of rest or restlessness form us over time. So through our lifestyle choices and habits, we are either practicing and cultivating restfulness or restlessness, peace or anxiousness. And she goes on to say, Our sleep habits both reveal and shape our loves, what we trust, and the fact that we have limits. I'll read that one more time. Our sleep habits both reveal and shape our loves, what we trust, and the fact that we have limits. So our sleep habits are actually a really great window into our spiritual lives. What we love and worship and what we're willing to sacrifice for. Here's another way to look at it. What are you willing to stay up for? So first, our loves. And this can go both ways. You know, we can give up sleep for things that are, that are worthy of love. And we can give up th- sleep for things that are not worthy of love. For the past several weeks, Amanda and I have been going to bed at midnight or later and waking up every two hours uh, to, con- to feed or to console our six-month-old daughter. Ironically, as I give this teaching on sleep habits, I am running on three hours of sleep. But we're sacrificing sleep because we love our daughter. This reveals that we love Phoebe. And our sacrifice further shapes and cultivates our love for her. And sometimes I'll be up late just because I'm having like, a great conversation with Amanda. I'm sacrificing sleep because I love spending time with my wife. And sometimes after a work day, the hour before bed is the only time we have to really talk. And then after that, I'll, I'll wake up early for, for quiet time with God. Again, sleep sacrifice because I love God. I want to be with him and I want to start my day with him. Waking up early also happens to give me time to go running with our dog because I care for my health, I care for Doodle's health, and running is life-giving for me. However, we can also sacrifice sleep and rest for lesser things. What we stay up for reveals our idols and our disordered desires. When Stranger Things Season 4 came out, I felt like a college student again. And not in a good way. I confess, there would be more than one night a week when we said yes to just one more episode. And season four episodes are long, which would keep me up until 1 or 2 a.m., even on a weeknight. Maybe some of you can relate. Naomi can relate. Or how about this? I've had a lot of nights where I'll be on my phone, setting, setting my alarm for the morning, innocently checking weather for the next day. And then I find myself up past midnight on Instagram. You know, this reveals my love for entertainment and distraction. And though I started by listing the nobler things I'll give up sleep for, more often than not, I lose sleep because I waste time on my phone. I sacrifice to the gods of the internet and social media. What is it for you? Who or what do you sacrifice to? Maybe we'll sacrifice out of FOMO, or FOBO, fear of better options than sleep, I guess. Uh, We don't want to miss out on whatever's happening in the night with friends, either in person or online. But what about work? I know a lot of us have deadlines to meet, assignments to complete, work that keeps us up late, but a lot of times we just have trouble setting limits. And at the end of the day, an idol is still an idol. Whether it's entertainment, pleasure, a carved statue, or work and academics. We check email and take work-related calls up until we go to sleep. We push our bodies past healthy limits in order to toil away with homework. And we've done it for so long, we feel like we don't have a choice. But the truth is, there's always a choice. Now, you're not gonna like this. You're not gonna like the sound of this. But for one, there is always the choice to not procrastinate. That is a habit that we, yes, even you, can reverse. If I can do it, so can you. And I'm still working on it. But if we really want to, we can reorder our lives to eliminate procrastination. And thereby eliminate the need to work ourselves into oblivion in the wee hours of the night. On top of that, there's always the choice to stop. As much as you feel like you can we can stop. Work does not have to be In high school, I had a friend who, no matter if he was done with homework or not, he would go to bed at 10 p.m. And this blew my mind because I thought that, you know, at that life stage, I thought school ran everyone's lives. But he was one of the few people who valued his personal health over school. And ironically, he was a really good student and all-around smart guy. Then, when I was in seminary, we happened to be talking about Sabbath one week in one of my classes. Uh, Now, while most of us were talking about our busy work weeks and how we had to arrange and rearrange this and that in order to make time and space for Sabbath, I I had a classmate who did something crazy. This guy started his week, started his planning by establishing Sabbath. In other words, he kept it holy and then he built his entire week schedule, including his work, around that. I was like, what? To me, it seemed revolutionary, you know, even countercultural and, and rebellious. But then again, the practices of Jesus tend to be revolutionary, countercultural, and even rebellious. So that's loves. Next, trust. Our sleep habits say a lot about what we trust who here has lost sleep over work-related stress? Who here's lost sleep because you were stressing about grades or tomorrow's midterm or whether or not you should check your grades before you go on spring break? Who here's lost sleep because you were fretting over your finances and your investments? All oh, your cryptocurrency just went. Poof. <laughs> who here has lost sleep because you simply felt like you might not have enough to make it or to live by or to get what you want in life, be it a house or a car or gadgets or clothes? Or even this, who here has lost sleep because you simply don't feel like you are enough? Warren writes, what we trust in, lying in our beds at the end of a long day is where our hearts truly lie when we lie awake in bed, struggling to sleep, this is when our hearts say things like, in success I trust, in my job I trust, in money I trust, in possessions I trust, in my grades I trust, in status I trust. But at the heart of it all, who has really sustained us? Who has really provided for us? Who has really cared for us? Who has given us life, given us skills and talents, created opportunities for us, paved every step? Is it really us? Is it our success? Is it our craftiness? Is it our cunning? Is it our money? Is it our possessions? Our status? Our, our, our attractiveness? Or our marketability? And it's to this that King Solomon, King Solomon, you know, he was in charge of a whole kingdom. It's to that that King Solomon writes this, Psalm One Twenty Seven. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It is God who ultimately sustains us, provides for us cares for us, gives us life, skills, talents for us to do good work. It is God who supplies our every breath, who protects us and guards us when we sleep. It is God who is with us through all things, who strengthens us, not our work, not our abilities, our success, our money, our grades, or whatever. It is God who works and watches over us while we rest in our beds at night. And since that is the case, we can rest. Our God is the God of Sabbath. The God who weaves rest into the natural rhythm of life. He creates, gifts us, and commands rest out of love. He gives to his beloved, to us, sleep. We need rest, we need sleep, and he gives it Lastly, our need for rest reveals this simple truth. We have limits. We are not infinite because we are not God. We're human. We're finite. And this is not something to fight. Unfortunately, the culture that we live in wants us to believe that we have no limits. We're a culture of energy drinks and caffeine pills. We'll pump whatever chemicals are necessary into our veins to keep us going. We are a culture of 7-elevens and 24-hour drive-thrus because capitalism thrives off of our desire to be limitless. The corporate world tells us that those who are willing to kill their bodies for work will be rewarded, usually with more work. In sum, we are a culture who wants to be God. As it turns out, we're just like Eve in the garden. We want to be autonomous and limitless. But the trouble is, reality is reality. We have limits. We were made with limits. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We get tired. Our bodies degrade and decay. We will die. Some of us have experienced the signs of burnout already. Many of us live with the realities of mental health struggles. For a lot of us, we've gone on this way for so long that when we do sleep, we swing to the other extreme end of the spectrum towards oversleep. Because waking up would mean that we have to face reality. And so sleep, rather than being a gift from God, becomes a drug to abuse, a means of coping and escapism. This is a byproduct of a life of restlessness. Restlessness. The truth is, we need rest before it's too late. We need help before it's too late. We need a caretaker. We need God. And our refusal to accept this points us to this sobering reality. Our habits of rest or restlessness, our sleep habits, reveal what we really think about God. When we stay up late, sacrificing our bodies for work, we're ultimately saying that God will not take care of me. I have to overwork myself to survive. When we stay up late for entertainment, we are saying, I will sacrifice my body for pleasure. But God is not worth my time or my energy. You know, while most of us say that we have little to no time for God, the average American spends 5.4 hours a day on their phones. Friends, if we are not fighting this current, if day after day after day we continue to reinforce this sacrifice of body and soul as our norm, we become more and more people of restlessness. As Solomon writes, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. I love that imagery, because we talk a lot about daily bread Solomon writes here, the bread of anxious toil, is this what we eat every day? The more we accept this and reinforce this lifestyle as normal, the more we ultimately become people of joylessness. We're too tired to have joy, we're too tired to see joy and to notice joy and to participate in it the more we accept this and reinforce this as normal, the more we become people who live isolated from the presence and the power of God. People who live unaware of and untouched by the love of God. People who mistrust God more and more. And people who become more and more hardened to the Holy Spirit. My friends, it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to be a slave to your work or your entertainment. You don't have to sacrifice your bodies on the altars of productivity, meritocracy, capitalism, or pleasure. We can reverse this slavery. We can choose freedom. We can choose rest. The truth is that we have a God who gifts us with rest. We have a God who wants us to live in freedom and to enjoy life to the full. And we have a God who invites us into a new way of living, a countercultural way of living, a resistance, so that we can be people of rest. So, how do we begin the great reversal? How do we step into this new way of living? How do we, in more practical terms, change our habits? And how can revising or adding our evening routines and rituals cultivate a new and beautiful awareness and experience of God? Even in something as ordinary as bedtime. Now, this next part is important. It begins, friends, with rethinking our conception of A day. We need to revise our theology and understanding of day. Genesis chapter 1, verse 5 states God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day. So in scripture and in ancient Jewish culture, the day started not with the morning, but actually with the evening which has some implications. Let's rewind further. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness out of darkness God creates first implication God does his best work out of darkness out of the night and the common refrain throughout the creation story it was good it was very good God does good work and he doesn't stop doing good work even when we sleep. And jump ahead to Genesis chapter two. Uh, This is verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. While Adam slept, God made Eve. While man slept, God made woman. So good. So while God creates and invites humans to participate and work with him, I mean, you could say that God does some of his best work when guys just get out of the way. Don't write that down. (laughs) But out of darkness, God creates the world. In Exodus, out of darkness, In the middle of the night, that's when God leads his people out of Egypt. And then we know from the gospel accounts, out of darkness, God raises Jesus. And then after God does some of his best work, he establishes Sabbath. He rests and he sets a good rhythm for us to live by. Not for us to talk about. Something for us to imitate and live by and flourish through. So, good news, friends. Today's biggest application might just be, go and get some sleep. If God works while we sleep, while we rest, then we can rest in peace. And that's not meant to sound morbid. Think back to when you were little and your parents drove you everywhere. Or maybe they still do. But remember when the car ride would always lull you to sleep? That means you're a bad co-pilot. But really, some of the best naps I've had in my entire life have been in the car. You know, it's such a great feeling. You embark on a long drive home, you drift off to sleep, and then you awake, safe and sound at home. You can rest because you trust that your parents will get you home safely. You can rest because you trust that your parents love you enough to not leave you by the side of the road. Friends, this is how it is with God. We can rest because God doesn't stop working. We have limits, but he does not. And so we can be okay with our limits. We can even embrace them because God is unlimited. Pastor and theologian Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible, says this. The Hebrew evening and morning sequence conditions us to the rhythms of grace. We go to sleep and God begins his work. So we can leave being God to God And if God works while we rest, then in resting, what we're doing is we're practicing placing our faith in the fact that God never stops. As we accept our limits, we practice our faith in his limitlessness. He never stops watching over us, caring for us, working in us and for us. So rest easy, friends. God gives to his beloved sleep. Think about it, this is, this is the rhythm that God weaves into the natural order. Think about our bodies. We grow when we sleep. This is why kids need more sleep. The body heals when we sleep. Our brains press, process, package, and store and consolidate information when we sleep. When I was a music student, I lumped all of my piano practice into the morning and into the evening because psychology tells us that our minds function the best in the morning, around 10 a.m. to noon, And that when we go to sleep, our brains process the last thing that we put into it. And so if I really needed to memorize a Beethoven sonata, I would practice it for an hour or two before bed. Science tells us that we are the most shaped by what we do upon waking and what we do before bed. So, as a follower of Jesus, if I want to be aware of Jesus, if I want to experience the nearness, power, and love of Jesus if I want to be shaped more and more to become like Jesus, science, nature, wisdom, and scripture tells me that I should probably make time and space for him in the morning and in the evening. And this leads us to our second implication. If I want to be aware of God, if I want to be ready to see and to hear him, to experience him, to enjoy him, to be transformed by him, and if the day truly begins with the evening, and the most important step to make time and space for God is in the evening before bed. Which takes us to our final point. Application and practice. Again, as has been the theme with this series, our application and practice will be super pragmatic and practical in hopes that it will be easy for us all to approach. In hopes that it will be doable for anyone who wants to. The choice is always yours. first, ritual just as a morning prayer and or devotions prime our minds and our hearts to be aware of God throughout the day just as midday prayer brings us back to God in the midst of our days and our busyness an evening ritual synthesizes all of this in simpler terms a bedtime routine synthesizes all of this As humans, we learn by looking back, reflecting on past experience, and then adjusting and adapting accordingly to the future. This is what an evening ritual helps us do. And I'm I'm specifically referring to a practice called examine prayer. Some of you might do this already. If not, write that down. Even though it's spelled E-X-A-M-E-N, it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. We look back on and examine our day. As followers of Jesus, daily examine allows us to look back on what God has done and how we've interacted with him, to grow in awareness of his presence and movement throughout our day, to give thanks, and it helps us to fine-tune our senses and our spiritual awareness for the day ahead. It's how we prepare to be more awake and aware of God when the morning comes. And even though it has a special name with a fancy spelling, it's incredibly simple. And you can make it as short or as long as you want. When I started, I used to just journal for five minutes, my exam. But now, Amanda and I just talk through it together at the end of our day before bed. It isn't complicated at all. Just set aside anywhere from five minutes to 20 minutes if you want to go crazy And start with this, what are you most thankful for? We practice this in our small groups. What are you most thankful for? Think back on both the small and the big things that happened in the day and give thanks. Practice gratitude. Gratitude is one of the best pathways towards God awareness and towards a life of joy. Next, reflect on this. When were you most in tune with God? When were you most aware of him? The first time you try this, you might say, not at all, never. But as you practice examining, as you spend time with people who are regularly in tune with God, just watch. Watch with wonder as you yourself develop an awareness of God. Third, ask yourself this. When did I feel God's love the most? Sometimes I feel His love the most when I drive to work and there's no traffic. Other times I'll feel His love the most in the form of a revelation in my morning quiet time in prayer and scripture. Or I'll feel it through a random act of kindness through a friend or a stranger. Or as I feel the warmth of spring break through the winter on a walk with our dog. God is a creator God. He loves in the most wonderful and creative ways. We just need to stop and step outside our own boxes and constructs. These are just some of the ways to help you get started. But since we believe in a culture of lament, and because we believe in a God to whom we can lament and cry out to, you might also think back on what you're not thankful for each day. You might also think back on the moments when you were least aware. And you might even think of the moments where you felt God's love the least. This reflection might help you see where you might have been closed off to God. Or it just might get you used to being honest with God. And in turn, lament might help you see God's invitations where you were blind to them before. So, first step just simply make time and space. Start with just a little time, keep it manageable, but then commit, commit, commit. Then, here's the second practice, and this is the simplest. I say it again, get some sleep. You know, most of the time, we might just not notice God because we're literally too tired and sleep deprived. So, I challenge you, set a bedtime this week. Doesn't have to be crazy, maybe just, I don't know, 10 to 30 minutes earlier than usual. I dare you, put a cap on your work. I remember my friend in high school who who put a cap on his work. I actually, he was so influential, I was like, that's that's such a game changer. I adopted his practice of, of stopping work, sleeping earlier, and then waking up to finish whatever I didn't get done. Wasn't always easy, but, I was reorienting and reprioritizing my body over work. Very rebellious at that time. Sleep knowing that God doesn't sleep. Sleep knowing that God works while you sleep, and that he does some of his best work while you sleep. Sleep and practice faith. Practice placing in your faith in the fact that God is still God when you sleep. He's still powerful, he's still in charge, He's still loving you while you sleep. And because he is God, because he is powerful, in charge, faithful, we can get eight hours of sleep a day this week. Just the other week, Amanda, out of love, I'm sure, sneakily turned off all my alarms and took care of all of Phoebe's duties so that I could sleep. And then a few days later, I returned the favor so that even with a baby... There were nights where we were able to sleep for eight hours. And so church, as a community, we can help each other. We can practice loving each other by helping each other get sleep. Lastly, the grand capstone of rest. Practice Sabbath. Sabbath is our great rest at the end of a work week. But it is also the great rest that prepares us for the next work week. Sabbath is the grand examine. Week. We get to look back on, give thanks for it, and celebrate God's presence, work, and love throughout the entire week on Sabbath. Sabbath is the ultimate celebration of the fact that God is Lord over all. It's the ultimate celebration of the fact that our God is good, that He loves us, and that He is for us. Sabbath is the ultimate act of resistance and rebellion against a culture that wants to keep us slaves. A culture that will do anything to keep us enslaved, whether it be through work, entertainment, or image. And so, just as we prepare to sleep with an evening ritual, this week, take steps to prepare for your Sabbath. In the midst of work, meetings, relationships, and parenting, this week has been a gift, a week in which I've had the chance to to celebrate with others just how wonderful Sabbath has been. I've been writing this in my journal. God, thank you for Sabbath. It is spilling over into my week, and it's awesome. Thank you. My cup overflows. The rest, the delight, the joy, it spills into the week and carries us through to the next Sabbath, where we get to rest, delight, and worship all over again. It's a good life. Friends, I hope you see that these are the invitations of a gentle understanding and loving God. A God who does not stop seeking after us, working in us and for us, and loving us just so deeply. The gift and command of rest changes our perception of God when we think about it. Our God is, is a loving Father, tender and caring. A loving Father who knows the needs of His children and provides so abundantly. So why not let your guard down, close your computer, power off your phone, put your pen down, if you still write with a pen, put a limit on your work, put a limit on your self-medication, and just rest in his arms. He gives to his beloved sleep. Accept the gift of a loving Father. Accept the gift and realize the nearness and care of our loving Father. Let's stand and pray. Father God, we simply give thanks this morning for your good gift of rest. And we just pray, Lord, that moving forward, that we would simply be good receivers and stewards of this gift, Lord. Help us to sleep. Help us to see the spiritual importance of sleep and our habits surrounding sleep. Help us as we commit to practices like examine. Let our evening routine and ritual reorient our minds and our hearts to notice you, to notice you throughout our days, to prepare to notice you the next day. And God, we just pray that all of this would just be another pathway into a life of fresh experience and encounter with you, a life of abiding in you, a life of enjoying you and enjoying the love that you pour out. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.